be here today to worship the Lord and to get into His Word. We'll be working out of Acts chapter 23 today. If you want to turn to that in your Bibles there, there should be one in front of your seat there underneath the seat, or we'll have it up on the screen um, to look after. So a few things before. i got a couple announcements. Um, the first thing is that our building fund is continuing to be, continuing to be built last week. Uh, we had a $5,000 matching challenge. So we uh, want to challenge you guys to uh, you know, give as much as you can towards our building to match that $5,000 so that we can turn that $5,000 into $10,000 towards putting our church together. Uh, we have the, the lot uh, smoothed out and covered with gravel over here at the, uh, west, no, the east side of Colony. And hopefully we'll be able to get started on the foundation uh, pretty soon so that we, we can uh, expand out there. Um, next thing is, is that October 31st is going to be Youth Sunday. And this Youth Sunday, we have something very special planned. Uh, Miss Cindy is doing the shoe drive. And so on October 31st, we're going to have a Barefoot Sunday. So... Have you ever been to a Barefoot Sunday? I don't know if they do these. Uh, we're not going to actually wash any feet at this service, but if you would like to wear your shoes that you would like to give away, uh, a pair of shoes that are uh, gently used or a pair that don't fit anymore, wear them to church, and then when you get here, you take your shoes off and put them in the box, and we will ship them to somebody who needs them in a different country. So if you don't want to participate, you don't have to. It's not required. But the rest of us are not going to have any shoes on, so you might as well uh, fit in with the rest of us. So that's October 31st, Youth Sunday, Barefoot Sunday. Be excited about that. Jessica doesn't like feet. She doesn't want to see toes. Keep your socks on. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So look forward to that. Uh, now let's get started with prayer. Uh, Father God, I thank you so much for this body of believers here today. Lord, I pray that what you will say to us will be uh, so much inspiring that we'll be able to take it out to the people outside of this building. And Lord, we ask that you would uh, heal our souls, Lord, of the, the the holes that we have that are incomplete, Lord, uh, fill those holes up so that we may be fully whole in your name, Jesus. We pray, amen. Acts chapter 23. Now, before I start here, I want to remind you where we're at. Uh, last week we discussed Paul, and he is in front of, of uh, the, the, the Jews for a while. And then he is captured by the Romans to keep him safe from the Jews. And he was able to give his testimony. And so here we are. We are um, up in front of the Jews again because uh, the soldiers, they were about to, about to uh, whip Paul. And uh, Paul... Paul gets out of it and they were going to whip him to find out what was wrong or what he did that was wrong and uh, then they realized he was Roman and they put him in front of the Jews and so here he is getting to talk to the Jews again so it'll make more sense 
as we study through it. Acts chapter 23, starting with verse 1. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias the high priest commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Those standing near Paul said to him, Do you dare insult God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers. I I didn't realize that he was the high priest, Paul replied. For the scriptures say, You must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees, And some were Pharisees, so he shouted, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. Now there is a lot happening here in this text. There's a lot going on in these seven verses. And I think the best way to break it down for understanding and for application is It's to identify some key words. So throughout this scripture, I've chosen a few key words that I think will help us to understand it. And we're going to go through them. The first is Gentile. This is our first key word. This is probably the main reason that Paul is in front of the high council at this point. Now he might have gotten off without a further charge if he hadn't have used this word Gentile. Now, uh, remember he was giving his testimony. Paul was in front of all the the Jews there and he was telling them uh, his experience with Jesus. He was going the exact opposite way, uh, persecuting believers in Jesus. God came to him the Lord came to him and said, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And then Paul turned the exact opposite way and started going in the right direction and he is telling his testimony to them. And um, when they they wanted to kill him and, and they were listening intently, if we go back to that chapter, verse 22, verse 21, uh, then Paul said, uh, The Lord said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Scripture said that the crowd listened until Paul said that word, Gentile. Then they begin to shout, Away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. And they yelled, and they threw off their coats and tossed handfuls of dust in the air. Gentile. The word he used that set the Jews against him again. Maybe he could have gotten away with it. Maybe the Jews would have been on board if he hadn't have said, Gentiles, that's where God has sent me to do, to save. But he did say it. And he said it because he firmly believes that God has sent him to preach the good news to the Gentiles. They don't have the word of God at all. They don't put their faith in the word of God like the Jews do. And so Paul has been sent to preach it to them and the full good news 
of Jesus Christ. Paul knows he has to speak to the Gentiles. He's honest and upfront with them. He says, that's what I'm going to do. And then they strapped him down. Well, they got angry. And the Romans had to save him from the Jews. And the Romans strapped him down. And like I said, the Romans were about to whip him. Because you got to get a confession out of him to see what's really going on. And when, he, when the Romans picked up the whip, they were about to get him. Uh, he said our next key word, I'm a Roman. I'm a Roman. And it's against the law to whip a Roman before he is tried, right? So this kept Paul from getting whipped. He is a Roman citizen, and he uses Roman citizenship to his advantage right here. Usually a person will be whipped so that they would confess of their crime and then they would properly be punished. But you can't whip a Roman citizen um, so before he's tried. So they put him in front of the Jewish high council. The Romans like, well, if we can't whip him, we get it out of him. Place him in front of the other Jews again. Which I don't know why that was a good idea, but place him in front of the Jews, the high council this time, and they'll tell us what Paul did that was wrong. Our next word is what they spoke to him and how he, how he res- responded. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I've always lived before God with a clear Clear, it's two words actually. Clear conscience. Uh, Hebrews 13 verse 18 says, Pray for us for our conscience is clear and we want to live honorably in everything we do. Folks, having a clear conscience is so free and so life-giving that a lot of times we don't understand how important it is. Living with a clear conscience. To live honorably. You see, Paul was, was doing his best. Paul knows he can't be perfect. And he, he wasn't hiding anything from God. Which is kind of a funny statement hiding something from God I mean uh, we couldn't hide anything from God if we tried it's impossible Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says nothing in all creation is hidden from God everything is naked and exposed before his eyes and he is the one to whom we are accountable Paul keeps it real with God. There's no pretending here. What about in our lives? Do we sometimes be fooled thinking, "Mm, I could hide that maybe from other people, and we give up integrity to live a pretend life to pretend like the things that we are doing, the thoughts that we are having are hidden, starts out 
hidden from other people. And somehow we get the idea that it's, it's hidden from God and then our conscience is not clear. We start worrying about it. It causes stress. It causes anxiety. It's always in the back of your mind. And you can't get rid of it. Guilt starts this way. Paul lives a kind of life that's not perfect. It's an example for us, though, because he is clear from this kind of guilt in the back of his mind. Listen, folks, if we are to live fully in God's grace and who he made us to be, then we are going to have to put at peace any of the trouble in our minds. We're going to have to step towards having a clear conscience. How does that work? Well, it starts with with repentance. It starts with having a one-on-one relationship with God, speaking to Him, with talking to Him about everything, and acknowledging, accepting that there is nothing we can keep from God. There's nothing we can hide from Him. And there is nothing too great that he can't forgive us from why would we try to keep it from him why would we hold it inside and not let God know everything that we are struggling with when we do give it over to God our conscience it becomes more clear Paul knows what it's like to have a clear conscience And he tells everyone else about it. He's up in front of the the high council here and tells them, I've had a a clear conscience before you. I've lived like this. And I I guess being a Roman doesn't work in front of the high priest because he orders Paul to be slapped. Slap that man. He doesn't live with a clear conscience. Uh, how dare he say that he's doing his best and he's, he's making it and he doesn't have to worry about anything because of God. And I think this is a struggle that uh, we often face daily. Before Jesus, it was a daily worry about, man, am I doing everything right? Am I uh, remembering to dot every I and cross every T so that I will be able to be with God in the end? Worry, worry, worry. And then Jesus comes. This is what Paul's preaching here. And he says, you know what? You need to obey God. All them things that, uh, that prevent you to, from getting to heaven, all the laws and rules, let's focus on putting your faith in Jesus. Now we can get out of line many times and And if you get out of the fence too many times, God will run you over with his truck, right? Okay, for you guys online that didn't see uh, the the communion meditation, Brant was, uh, it it was a good communion meditation. But I have to tell you, you know, there are a lot of things that we want to get outside of the parameters that God puts around us. And parameters is even a bad word because God puts... God puts uh, the obedience 
and the guidelines that he writes to us there that keep us in a peaceful mind state, in a clear conscience state, and he loves us, and so that's what we do. But for some reason, we want to get outside of his care, just like Brant was saying. And we go outside of, outside of what God is telling us to do, and we face consequences, worldly consequences for those things. And God will accept us back. And every time, man, it can get harder and harder. Harder. And, and Paul says, it used to be that way for me. But now I live with a clear conscience. Always live before God with a clear conscience. High priest says, slap that man. But Paul is quick. Paul is quick, if not sometimes a little bit hot-headed, but he's always ready with a reply. A reply. I, I, I wish I had some of that in me, the, the, the kind of fellow that Paul's like, where he's always got something on his mind and, and it comes out of his mouth really fast. Uh, some of us can do that, but it's not good things that come out of our mouth really fast when we have those things in our mind. But here's what Paul says to Ananias, the high priest. He says, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? (laughs) Corrupt hypocrite. Other translations say whitewashed wall. This is our next word for today. Whitewashed wall. This is the original, original Greek text come through. Now, what is a whitewashed wall? Uh, you know, speaking of hiding, hiding things, keeping them from God, uh, that's what uh, whitewashing something is all about. The easiest way to cover something up and make it look better, newer, uh, fresher, is to paint it white. You know, like the old fences. They stand up for years and uh, they start to break down and your cows start to get out. Okay, not that kind of fence. The, the kind of fence that's wooden and, and it gets old and it starts to rot and you paint it white so that it looks new. So the people can't tell that it's old and decaying and no good anymore. You paint it white. It wasn't any different. Back in Paul's day, when the walls get old, you refurbish them, or do it the simple, cheap, quick way. They paint them white. You know, the, the, uh, the tombs of that day I've read were also whitewashed. And that was because uh, at night, when you were a Jewish person, you would not want to lean up against the wall of a tomb. What does the tomb contain? Contains dead folk unclean things things that are decaying and not good or rotting and so they paint the tomb white so in the dark you would know where those are at you wouldn't go near them it's bright white stay away because if you touch them you'd be ceremonially unclean you'd have to go through a process of cleansing yourself and doing that kind of a thing the tombs were whitewashed and they had something inside that wasn't good Paul says you are whitewashed wall 
Ananias. Oh, what an insult to Ananias to suggest that he was decaying and rotting inside. And he was wearing the priestly garments right then. He was in the, the, uh, the capacity of the high priest making those kind of decisions, feeling really good himself, standing up there high, but yet inside he wasn't any kind of a priest. Definitely not a high one. He was rotten inside. He was worldly inside. He was a whitewashed wall. This is what Paul says. And Paul wasn't there. Paul wasn't there very long. You know, First Peter chapter three, verses thirteen through seventeen talks about integrity. How we should live. It says, Now we now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life live because you belong to Christ remember it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong the scripture is so good it talks about not worrying or being afraid about having integrity and being gentle in a respectful way keeping our conscience clear and being ready to give this this example of what we should be like in this uh, response to any question that might be asked. Paul is ready. He speaks of integrity, of being clean through and through, unlike what he called Ananias, a whitewashed wall. Speaking of Ananias and his history, uh, he wasn't He hadn't been there a real long time. Um, Ananias wasn't in the position of high priest, uh, perhaps in an honest way. The the extra-biblical texts that give us a little bit more information on what was going on there said that that Ananias was probably uh, just a substitute or fill-in. The previous high priest had had died and somebody needed to fill those shoes and Ananias uh, pushed his way in there. And so here he was in the position, um, honestly, and he wasn't there very, very long because uh, the the other texts say that Jewish patriots assassinated him out of that capacity. Uh, That was his very own people that he was being a high priest for not too many years after what just happened here. Integrity. First John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us 
from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing His word has no place in our hearts. Now if we want to be truly cleansed from everything that is rotten, from all the sin, then it's through the blood of Jesus, not painting something on the outside to cover it up. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us and makes us perfectly clean, cleanses us from all wickedness. This is the good news that we read about, the good news. So Paul says, you are a whitewashed wall. And what's next? What's next? Well, everybody around there says, oh, no, he just didn't called Ananias a whitewashed wall did you know Paul dare you insult the high priest did you know that was the high priest now did Paul know this did Paul know that he was speaking to the high priest this is another another mystery maybe maybe you have your way of understanding it uh, and I don't exactly know but when Paul called the high priest uh, whitewash wall did he know that it was actually the high priest some people say that well uh, the thorn in Paul's flesh like Paul, Paul speaks about a thorn in his flesh some people say that was his eyesight his eyesight was going bad um, and this was the problem That they get this from like uh, scriptures like Galatians chapter 4 verses uh, 13 through 15 it tells us, uh, you know, surely Paul's talking to some people that he comes up, surely you remember when I was sick when I first brought you the good news, but even though my condition tempted you to reject me, so my condition we don't know what Paul's condition is, you did not despise or turn me away, no, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus, and then he says where is the joy, that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I'm sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if that had been possible. So, maybe that means that Paul needed new eyes. Um, he wasn't seeing very well. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, again, when he writes with those own hands, he said, Notice what large letters I use as I write the closing words in my own handwriting. A fellow would write with large letters if he couldn't see well. I mean, it would seem that would be the case. So maybe Paul did not know that this was the high priest when he called him a whitewashed wall. I don't know. Or, it has been a while since Paul's been in town. He's been traveling on missionary, uh, on mission, doing missionary stuff, and uh, he comes back. As we've discussed before, Ananias wasn't there that long. Um, and... Uh, you know, the high priest, in, in hearing Paul's, uh, Paul's testimony or his, his, um, his speaking, he's not in his official capacity as a high priest, so he wouldn't have had on his, his robe. 
Um, about 25 years prior to this, Paul would have been in this exact place, um, persecuting Stephen and approving that. So maybe, maybe Paul doesn't know that this is the high priest when he speaks because he, because he can't see, or maybe he just doesn't can't tell that this fella is because he doesn't recognize him. Or could be this: Paul doesn't think Ananias is worth being treated as high priest. Notice that right after this, Paul quotes the scripture, quotes from Exodus chapter 22. He says, I'm sorry, brothers, I didn't realize it was the high priest. For the scriptures say, you must not speak evil of your rulers. Now, this could be, uh, this could be that Paul is thinking back to the situation with like David and and King Saul, King Saul. There, there's a lot of respect for God's anointed one. If you remember that, the stories there. Uh, David respected Saul, even though Saul continually tried to murder David. Um, David can continue to hold respect for the person that God put into into the place of a king, even though Saul turned evil. Um, or could be Paul was quoting the scripture and basically saying I wouldn't dare speak evil of a real ruler of a God anointed ruler and you're not one you're not him we don't know we don't know but, but one thing we do know is Paul operates in the capacity of his given mission which is preach to preach the good news to anyone he can, uh, Jews and Gentile. And here he is doing that, and he has a mission to go to Rome, and he's got to get to Rome. Um, he's going there via uh, armed escort. He's in custody in armed escort, but he's going to take there, and he finds himself again in hot water. He's, he's made everyone around him mad, and now the high priest is not happy with him at all. What is he going to do? Well, my family likes to play a lot of volleyball. My girls are crazy about it, and so boys are rolling their eyes. Yeah, I roll my eyes too. And so, But there's a really neat thing that I learned in volleyball. Um, when a fella, the, actually the, the missionary that came here, LePang, uh, Miss B's brother, and so he taught the girls how to uh, analyze things the split-second before you make the shot. So, as the ball comes over the net, one person uh, bumps the ball, and they get it right to the person. So the setter, the setter will notice where that ball is coming, get there, and when the ball is hanging in the air, they'll look around and see where their hitter is. Now put it to where their hitter is. And the hitter will see the ball coming right there and calculate where it needs to be, and they will jump up in the air and, and cock their arm back, and they'll pause right there and they move their eyes from the ball and they look around at the other side of the court to see where is the hole. Where can I smack this ball? And then they move their eyes back to the ball and wham! Execute it. 
And I know it's crazy to think that they pause right there in the middle of the air, but I saw that little little uh, fella, LePang, do it when he was in the air, and he paused and he looked down. And I see my girls start to do that now, and it really works. And I don't understand it because I've tried to do it. It's impossible for me to do it at the split second, but I'm guessing that you guys have something like that in your life. You have to be quick on your feet. Whatever the job is that you do, whatever you're doing, you have to make that split-second decision what do I do right now to make this execute to execute this the best way? Paul's good at this. He's looking around at everybody. They're all mad at me. And now the high priest, because I have done called him a whitewash wall, and I've still got to get to Rome to preach the good news. And he makes the decision. He finds the hole and he hits it right there in the spot that counts. Our next word resurrection resurrection he says brothers I am a Pharisee as were my ancestors I am on trial here because I believe because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead the resurrection this folks is where our hope lies in the resurrection see, Christ has been raised from the dead, and that is where we get our hope. This is the message that Paul is preaching. Now, why did he mention resurrection from the dead, and why is that a word that we are studying here? Here's why Paul made that split-second decision, because he knew, he looked out, and he knew his audience. Part of them were Pharisees. Part of them were Sadducees. The difference is, is that half of them, the Sadducees, don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And the other half uh, firmly believe in the resurrection of the dead. And all of a sudden, he threw that out, and they turned on each other. And they start to argue, and they start getting violent with each other, and the attention is off the Apostle Paul. Now he can turn and sneak back into the custody of the Romans and be taken safely without getting, who knows what, beaten again or or killed. The resurrection of the dead. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. We believe that Christ was raised from the dead on the third day. We believe that we are united with Christ because of that resurrection the reason that we are raised from the dead or the reason that Jesus was raised from the dead was to give us the chance to do the same to be raised by his power you see we can uh, be inside of a tomb all of us will be of some sort someday that's not the last place that we have to be because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that's where we place our hope that because Jesus was officially dead on the cross, laid in the tomb, he wasn't pretending. He wasn't uh, playing dead. He was truly, physically, in his earthly body, dead. And then, three days later, was officially and honestly alive again. And he was alive so that we could be raised from our, our 
worldly state of being dead to sin and we get life everlasting from that. We get to be united with Jesus in the present tense. Sometimes we don't live a life like we are united with Jesus now, like we have the resurrection power now, like that's where our hope is now. But we can live that way because we know that the victory has already been won. Everything that that needed to be done to forgive us of all of our sins has already taken place on the cross. And all we need to do is to put our faith in the one that did that for us. We believe in the hope of the resurrection. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the words that you give us through the Apostle Paul. Lord, we ask that you would help us not to be whitewashed walls, that we would truly give 100% of who we are, the good and the bad to you, who will cleanse us from every sin.